What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome in to another episode of the Triple Play Fantasy Baseball Show. Now a proud member of Fantasy Points and the Fantasy Points Media Group. D-Mendy here, joined by a piece of dessert that when it comes to putting eggplant emojis, he takes the cake and he eats it too. That's Art Tornabeni, a.k.a. Little Cheesecake, the LC. LC, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. I like to show when I'm excited about our draft picks, and uh, that's how I show excitement in the in the group chat. Eggplant yeah. emojis. It, it became next to your name every single time, and now so now it's in my contacts like that. But nothing wrong oh, with no. that. Nothing wrong with being a little excited. I, we need that here. Uh, but I'll you tell you excited. what, it's a draft. Of course, of course. I'll also tell you we're joined tonight by uh, the king of the first bucket bet in basketball. It's Eric Mendelson, a.k.a. The Doc. What's going on? I feel like everything that you say and just me being a degenerate gambler. But yes, Cole Anthony, first bucket happened the other day. And you didn't win any money from it. Yeah, the bet didn't go through, which sucks, but whatever. It's the adrenaline rush that I'm looking for. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. We're also joined by the last member of the crew, the man who doubles as a fantasy baseball analyst and extra in Peaky Blinders. It's Marty Tallman. What's up? Hey, the blindest, the peaks. Um, I'm great, man. I've too. We got. We, look at our guest. That's the only thing that matters. Just get off of me. Go talk to him. Oh, you know what? That's <laughs> that's as good a transition as I've ever heard. So, without further ado, we welcome in a man whose initials DVR stand for that voice rad, a podcast host, producer, and writer at the Athletic. You may know this man for his love of Victor Robles, or maybe you sent him a question to read with something Brewers related in the title. The smooth operator whose favorite word in the dictionary has become Gordle. We welcome in the host with the most, Derek Van Riper. How's it going, man? It, those are the best intros that I get anywhere. I mean, I, I will come back forever <laughs> because the intros are always so kind. So I appreciate that. Hey, of course, man. We really appreciate your time and big fans of all that you do over at the, the Athletic. And um, obviously, you're one of the, the Mount Rushmore guys in the fantasy baseball industry. I got to ask you, now that everything's picking up, is it kind of the juices are flowing again and excited for, I mean, no, baseball's kind of bleak right now, but the possibility that things could start soon? Yeah, just the time of year. I mean, I think knowing that labor and tout wars and NFBC drafts are actually on the calendar, even if they're not in person, we're still planning on having them. That always gets me going. It kind of pushes that process along. I, I think December and January are months that normally I'm, I'm digging into things and making my own spreadsheets, but February is when it starts to feel like a season is actually happening, even if we know it's probably going to be a delayed start. Yeah, and I think right now we kind of have half the community that's kind of like very pessimistic. It's like, hey, even if it takes till two weeks prior, we could still have season on time, maybe just spring training's delayed. It's too long anyway. And then the other half are like, hey, things are getting pushed back. There's no way a season's starting on time. It's pretty crazy right now, to say the least. Um, but you know what? That's why we have position previews. And what better way to transition than to talk about what we have on the docket tonight, which is our first basement preview, as the triple play position previews are here and they're spectacular. We started off last week with catchers. Now we're at the first base position, and we're going to talk about players we like, players we fade, some late round gems, and more. You can expect some disagreements, debates, and tons of great information for when you draft your fantasy baseball team. After it, we'll go to our question for the question of the week. Would you move the All-Star game from its current date, if so, to when and why? And after we, of course, we have our game of the week come in and shut the door. So if you guys are ready to get another episode started, then man, we're here to do it for you. 
And let's dive in just real quick before we get into the first base preview. Just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts. And I'm going to be pretty honest. I don't really care as much about these guys, Derek. So mostly your thoughts. I would like to hear your thoughts on kind of the how the negotiations are going. Are you more on the pessimistic side that no way season's on time? Or have you seen things and you're like, okay, some optimism that maybe we just missed some spring training and that things could start where we expect it to? I'm probably near the middle of the two ends where uh, I'm not necessarily expecting the season to start on time, but I also don't think we're going to lose 40 games or anything like that either. I think what we're seeing is a lot of public posturing. I think bringing in uh, the government to mediate is not really a a solution. It's just sort of a delay tactic. It's a a way of, of trying to make things look a certain way, which is what the owners have done for a long time. But I think the thing that could make this take longer than some people expect is that I think the appetite in the public is probably more in the favor of labor now than it ever has been. If you just look around at what's happening in other industries, I think you'd find that people are going to be more compassionate toward the players than they might have been 10 or 15 years ago because they're thinking about their own situations, right? So I think that that could kind of change their willingness to wait it out a little bit. Obviously, what they're seeking and where the owners are at, there's a massive gulf right now. So I I don't know if it's a midpoint solution or if it's still probably closer to what the owners want. I would probably have to bet on the, the latter if I had to, to guess. But look, I think we're going to get at least 140 games this season, even if the next four weeks or so are just miserable from a, a news perspective. Marty, do you echo what Derek's saying? Do you, are you kind of on the same page with that as well? Yeah, I mean, they've met five times over the last 11 days. And if they actually cared about getting this done on time, they would have started months ago. So, you know, we're at the mercy of the of Major League Baseball and what they're going to do with the labor negotiations. So I'm I'm probably, yeah, 140 games. I mean, it's just, that's so sad to even think that, but it's probably true. Cheesecake? I just wanted to echo, I saw a tweet recently that a labor attorney put out. The um, We don't actually have to miss any time. The only reason we're going to miss any games is because there's a lockout. They can s- still negotiate while spring training is going on, even if they want to just end the lockout. The negotiations don't have to end. So I thought that was an interesting point. Like There there really actually is no need to, to, uh, to have a lockout at all as far as negotiations. Fair enough. And Doc, it's all the same as you as well? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to actually see progress when there's jeopardizing games. Like right now, it's cold. I think spring training, your casual fan isn't getting into. I think once the weather starts to warm up a little bit, there's going to be a little bit. And especially when football is over, too, I think that's when it's going to be a little bit more uh, impeding. And what we've seen from a couple of years ago is they can get a deal done quickly if they choose to. I think the the positive looking at it is we know the points that they're looking at and the negotiations, and it's just going to be a point of compromising. All right. Well, we'll see what happens as things continue to play out. Just a reminder real quick. If you have not signed up for the triple players ball, which is a DC 50, we've actually almost filled out our third league. We've got two spots left and it's quite a good time. If I do say so myself, as you can see from the graphic we've got right now, hopefully gonna be 45, potentially 60 contestants competing for one prize. I should have gotten a picture of your golden cleats art for the first place trophy next week. Yes. It's, 19 the 1929 golden cleats is that what the prize is you would learn to unmute your mic look look at the rookie behavior <laughs> yeah they're from 1929 direct uh direct from uh from the golden age of uh of the the yankees and the philadelphia a's 
All right. Well, there you go. That's our first place prize along with, of course, the winning. So if you would like to join the Triple Players Ball, you can send a message over to the account at Triple Fantasy, myself at DMendio2, or our email at TripleFantasy at gmail.com. All right. Let's get started here with our first base preview. And we're going to start off, as we do with each episode, explaining the fact that we are doing NFBC ADP strictly. So obviously, this is not necessarily how it is on every site. But we are looking for the past month. So we are looking from January 6th to today, which is February 3rd. And as we get more drafts, we'll probably go more two-week style. But for right now, this is how we're going to do it. And DVR, I want to start you off first. We're looking at the 1 through 15 range here for first baseman. And someone in this range that you really like, that you find yourself drafting a ton of is who? Pete Alonso is the guy that I really want uh, among first basemen. I, mean, I think this position as a whole, it gets tricky if you wait too long, even if you're trying to fill a corner with a first baseman. A lot of times you can end up with somebody who's on a big side platoon or they've got a terrible batting average situation because they hit a ton of fly balls, they pull everything. Uh, Pete Alonso, I think, for the amount of power he brings, has a better batting average floor than people realize. And he's coming off a season in which he just lowered his K rate under 20%. Mm-hmm. So you have the guy that leads the major league, major leagues and homers over the last three seasons combined, getting better at making contact in a lineup that is also improving. The additions they're making there are, are significant. I think a, a full season of a productive Francisco Lindor with Starling Marte there, with Mark Canha. This is a much deeper offense the way it has been throughout Alonzo's entire time there. So no one has any doubts at all about the power. I think he's more likely to hit 260 than 230. I love everything he brings to the table. He's a max volume player in a good situation now. So I am all in on Pete Alonzo at his current price. And uh, I, I can't believe he's not going inside the top 40 just based on the track record that he has as a power run producer. I was going to say, I, I find it hard to think Matt Olson going around pick 43 to anybody wanting to take that 12 pick discount. I mean, what's Matt Olson going to give you that Pete Alonso is not going to give you that, that to me is very mind boggling. And I can see why where he's right now where he's slotted, why that's kind of your best value there at first baseman for the production he's going to give. And like you said, that strikeout rate, it being under 20%, which is incredible. It's insane for somebody that hits that many bombs for someone to be able to have a strikeout percentage that low. Do you think he can replicate that this season? I don't have any strong reason to believe he can't. I mean, even if he gives back two to three percentage points, that's fine. I'll I'll take a a guy with 50 home run potential that strikes out 23% of the time because uh, I just think he's putting enough balls in play where he's going to max out on that RBI potential as well. Sometimes we get a little bit uh, lazy with the runs and the RBIs as categories. We focus so much on on homers and, and steals, but I, I think Alonzo is probably plus in runs, RBIs, and home runs, plus plus in home runs. He's not going to hurt you in batting average, and even for a first baseman, it gets you a handful of steals, which you're not really getting steals from that position anyway, so I I love him. I, I think the Olsen thing is, it's they're totally even to me in terms of what they could do, but Alonzo's situation is already better. You're not wish-casting that trade to Yankee Stadium or whatever it is you're hoping is going to happen with Matt Olson. You don't need that to happen with Alonzo. The setup is already there. Yeah, and just kind of looking at Alonzo a little bit, it seems like he kind of just became more aggressive last year. His zone swing went up to a career high. The zone contact was a career high. 
And even his chase was a little bit higher than 2020. But again, he's he's actually swinging in the zone more, which maybe you would think means maybe he has a little bit better of a better batter's eye. The uh, you know, just overall, just you know, the whiff percentage being down, swing percentage being up. Maybe he's seeing the ball a lot better. He's identifying pitches in the zone and he's making them pay. So I, I like it. P. Alonzo, I think, is a great call to start out this discussion. Cheesecake, you like somebody that we were kind of just uh you know, actually, you know what, Doc. You kind of like somebody that we were trashing just now at his price at Matt Olson. How come you like him as the yeah. the third off the board? Yeah, well, I certainly liked his value last year a lot better. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a guy that just came off a season where he had the most home runs off a left-handed pitcher being a left-handed batter. Um, and one of the things I really love about Matt Olson is the durability. Played 156 games last year, 60 the game before, so a complete one. Year before, played 127, but had a handmate bone fracture in his hand, which is kind of a fluke injury, not a soft tissue one. And the year before that, 162. Uh, he cut his K rate down from 31.4% to around 16%. And sometimes it's just the eye test. When he makes contact with the ball, he hits it hard. So we, taught, we talked about Pete Alonso cutting down his strikeout rate. Matt Olson's was even more significant. Now, I do love Alonso at his draft price. But what we've seen with him the last couple of seasons is he started off really slow. In March, April of this past year, 247. In May, hit 233. And in June, really spiked up to 293, but then back down to 250. I just think Matt Olson provides a little bit more consistency. And if he gets traded, then you know he's going to be in a better lineup. Yeah, that's a good point. If you were to necessarily go to the Yankees with that short porch and left, I mean, that could definitely be something that would work to his advantage. And for the record, I do think A's are sellers at some point this season. Yeah, I agree. Marty, you went a little deeper and you went down to the Cron man, CJ. Yep. CJ. And yep. uh, in him and in the back in Colorado this year. So at the 11th first baseman, you must really like that value. I do. And for me, Crohn's, he's my uh, number eighth ranked first baseman. So uh, I already like the um, kind of a discount that I see for him. In 2021, I mean, he hit, he hit 28 home runs. He slashed 281, 375, 530 with a 383 X Woba, which is in the 86th percentile. He had a career high fly ball percentage at 32.5. So he's completely sold out for the long ball. And talking about decreasing your K rate, he decreased his as well. So it was a 30. Point eight in 2020, and he got it all the way down to 21.4. 21.4 for CJ. It's pretty unbelievable, actually. So he's not super sexy, but where you're getting him, he's going to hit around 30 home runs. Um, there's a, you know, the Babbitt always looks great in core. So he's going to hit around 260, 270. The counting stats are going to be there, and he should be, you know, 150 game player if he can stay healthy. Yeah. And if you look just basically anything that's not chasing the ball, it's a lot of red there. So if you're a bull, I would not recommend you go to his Statcast page. Hey Marty, but, just for the just for the record, he's never played 150 games in a season. I know. That's why I said if he stays healthy. Just, yeah. Did you listen raining, to the last part, Doc? Just raining on your parade. <laughs> That's what I do here. You cannot you cannot rain on my parade because he is at 125, and right oh. there, that's a. All right. Well, I think I get a sense of a debate coming later. Sheikh, wrap this wrap this up for us. You're like is actually falls technically outside the rules. So you didn't no, do your no. homework assignment. He was the 16th first baseman you, off the you board. You can't count Tyler Stevenson as a first baseman. Who's going to play him at first? Uh, 
art, when I look at this, it says 15th Tyler Stevenson catcher first base. <laughs> you can't count him as a first baseman. That he's he's being drafted there to to catch. Uh, so that in in that rule, Vado falls within the top 15. I think that that's solid. I think I might actually get some agreement on this. Vote in the comments. But Vado is in the top 15. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think with Vado, what I see is just a lot more safety than the guys going ahead of him uh, because he's going behind guys like uh, Josh Bell, Ty France, Reese Hoskins. I, I, I think, you know, Vado is he's he's a Hall of Fame player who who made the adjustment and made a change to his swing. And he's having a little bit more power. He still hit 266 last season. He still drove in 99 runs and scored 73. I think that he's a lot safer pick and he's going later right now than guys like, like Hoskins uh, who, who might uh, return a much lower batting average France who doesn't have nearly as much power bell. Who's who has, there are some issues with, with his season last year. He did not really, uh, uh, he doesn't have a high barrel rate, you know, and, and he does have long cold spells. So I think like when you look at Vado, I have him up a lot higher around the ninth, ninth or 10th first baseman. And he's going as the 16th right now. So I think he's a great value. DVR. I'm curious, right? Last year, Joey Vado was almost free. Now he's going inside the top 150. Are you still interested in drafting him inside the top 150? Or do you think kind of last year might've been a mirage and maybe he regresses some? I lean pretty heavily on the bat X projections and that system believes that the power mostly holds probably closer to the, the high twenties range than the mid to upper thirties. I mean, the park still helps him a lot. I'm in, I think he's on the shorter list of kind of pick 150 range to 200 range options at first base that I really like as a corner, because I'm not worried about him sharing that role with anybody. Now that Tucker Barnhart's gone, Tyler Stevenson won't move over and play first base at all. And if we have universal DH, even better, because they do have a little bit of a glut uh, of power hitting guys. They're trying to jam into that infield mix. But I don't, I don't see a lot of playing time downside for Votto, which makes him one of the last sort of safe options in this range. Yeah, no, I, I mean, looking at, again, the, the board right here, you got Tyler Stevenson, who's who's a catcher. Max Muncy, who might need Tommy John surgery. And then you have, you know, Reese Hoskins, can he bounce back? Alex Kirilov, who looked good in his short time that he was uh, healthy. And then, you know, it, it's a lot of question marks here. So Joey Votto could be a nice steady presence going inside the top 150, especially if you decide to wait on first baseman. Don't panic. Everybody always, Jose Abreu, I think is always the calling card. Like, hey, if you wait till after Jose Abreu, it goes down. That's like he's like the mark, but I think there are some good first basemen you can get late if you decide to sleep on the position for a little bit. Uh, but we got to get negative really sec uh, for a second here, and we don't necessarily hate these players, right? We just more just don't like their draft price. We're not taking these players where they're currently slated to be going. And DVR, who's that player where you don't find yourself drafting too much of them? Ty France is that guy. I mean, I think playing time wise, he's probably safe for 2022. But as that team keeps getting better, he's exactly the type of player who begins to fall in the batting order. And then he just plays less because they end up with somebody who's just a better all around bat. I think for a guy that plays first base, you'd expect more raw power. The barrel rate really isn't that impressive. We did see significant improvements in the K rate during his first run as an everyday guy last year, which is awesome to see a sub 20% K rate from him. Doesn't walk a ton, but he walks enough. 
And I think the thing that I'm struggling with the most with Ty France is that the 291 batting average we saw last year seems unsustainable based on the type of contact that he makes. So for me, it almost just takes an adjustment for him to be as good as he was last year in batting average. And even then, you might not get more power. And if he makes the adjustment to get more power, he might lose that batting average that he had last year anyway. So I, I just see a lot of ways where it can break down on him from just an underlying skill standpoint and eventually maybe more in the future beyond this season uh, from playing time perspective as well. I just think the other guys in that range, I mean, if you're looking at Ty France versus Reese Hoskins as a toss up, I'll take the health risk on Hoskins, take the batting average hit and try and get a cheap 35 home runs with good run production. In that spot instead, I think I'd rather have Votto straight up too. And he's available 10 picks later, pretty consistently. Yeah. And, I'm curious, do you think with the Mariners most likely expected to contend right from the gates that if he's not producing, I kind of outperformed a lot of his metrics last year. Do you think if he's not producing that with the talent that they have, that they would be comfortable just sitting him and it's not like he's going to stay in the lineup per se every single day? I mean, he's a pre-arbitration player, so I just think there's so little invested in him from an organizational standpoint that, yeah, if he's in a prolonged slump, he becomes a part-time guy really fast. They've got a little bit of extra catching depth. I think Luis Torrens is one of those guys that could end up playing a little bit of first base. They already signed Evan White to that extension a few years ago. So if he turns a corner, I think they've got more reasons to try and play him than to play France. Um, and I think there's other unusual situations that could play out too. I mean, if they end up adding a free agent, maybe Abraham Toro moves over and plays some more mm -hmm. first base because he can play all over the place. So I just, I, I see a, like, seven or eight little reasons not to like Ty France, which if any, like one or two of those were the only concern, I don't think I'd be that worried about him, but just seeing all the ways it can go wrong, he's become a player that I just steer away from in this range. Yeah, 291 batting average last year, 269 expected batting average, according to Fangraph, so definitely could have uh, outperformed his numbers there, and it could be something interesting to watch for next year. I'm with you, DVR. Let's go to you, Marty. Let's talk about who you're fading in this range. Yeah, and this is going to be, like you said, um, for me, it's going to be Jared Walsh. And it's not because I don't like him. It's just where he's currently priced. So he's the ninth first baseman off the board. And um, anytime it has a, I mean, he bats 170 against lefties. So I don't see him, you know, especially if the Angels are going to are serious about contending. I don't see them rolling him out there every single time. So we're already talking about a potential platoon situation. Um, and just he's striking out 26% of the time as well. And he doesn't walk enough for me. And going back to looking at ADP, go back to CJ Crone. So he's actually projected and I'm looking at the bad X shout out to DVR. Cause I agree. I love the bad X and Darren Carty. He dropped it today, I think. So, um, great for that. But yeah, he's projected to hit two more home runs. Crone's expected to hit two more home runs than Walsh have more counting stats and a better batting average. And you can wait on him. Yeah. And uh, that his batting average versus lefties is a good little stat there too. And he's somebody that, again, last year was a lot cheaper. And now you have to draft him inside the top 10 first baseman right after pick 100. So it's a lot more draft capital you have to pay for that. Cheesecake, I'm curious because your dislike might be more out there than what most people would say on a show. And I'm going to let you defend yourself. You have Freddie Freeman as your dislike. I, I think there's there's a lot of things that's that go into this. One is the fact that I, I'm not 100 percent sure where where he's going to play. If he's if I know he's going back to Atlanta, I may feel a little bit more solid. I'm, I, that's just a, a point of caution. But it, mostly, it, it has to do with the fact that I think 
that uh, waiting is and and waiting and and taking a someone who has some speed at that at that point that he's being drafted is a better option because players like Matt Olson and Pete Alonzo are providing so much value later on in the draft. Specifically, uh, I, I think Olson because uh, if you look um, last season, Freeman had 120 runs and 83 RBIs, 203 runs plus RBIs. Olson produced 212 of those. Um, uh, I don't think Freeman's batting average positive actually offsets the power deficit that he's starting to show from guys like Alonso and Olsen anymore as well. So uh, for me, Freeman just, he, he, he's a consistent guy. You know, you're going to get a good batting average with, with pop, but I think you're going to get more pop with Olsen and Alonso and the batting average is not going to be worth as much more because they both have pretty decent batting averages. So I think I just pass on him. You know what? I, I can't disagree with you in the sense I did this, the CBS mock on the CBS fantasy baseball today draft the other day, and he was ranked right. I would, I had the last pick and he was available at the turn, you know, the pick in the turn, he ended up falling into almost the, the top part of the second round. And I think it's for the reason you said is, is because you can get so many guys, especially in roto formats that mm-hmm. are going to give you those stolen bases in that range. And you can wait a little bit longer for a first baseman. So you can probably find him falling a little bit more in spots. And I don't have it in front of me, of course, but I would be very curious to see how his ADP has kind of gone from beginning of draft season back in October to when they tracked it to now to see if his ADP's really gone up or gone down since then and to see what will happen to it when he does sign and to see where he kind of settles yeah. in his ADP. So I definitely can't disagree with you there. Doc, give us yours real quick and then we can move on to our next range. Yeah, so I, I disclaimer that um, I did not follow the instructions, and two of the guys that I dislike are in the <laughs> one to fifteen. But I'll give the higher one first. Oh uh, my god, you had one job. Yeah, well, you, you changed up the numbers of how we normally do it, but for me, it's Ryan Mountcastle. Um, one hundred seventy nine games played in his career, so it's a relatively small sample size. But it's kind of a tale of two stories. So twenty twenty, he had five home runs in thirty five games and a three thirty three batting average. In twenty twenty one. 33 homers, but a 255 batting average. Now, he upped his launch angle from 10.8 degrees to 16.3. Their barrel percentage went up as well, but so did the K rate. So which Ryan Mountcastle are you going to get in a full season? Well, if you're expecting the power one, left field's getting pushed back 26 and a half feet, raised 7 feet 4 inches to 13 feet up. He had 22 of those 33 homers at home, where Camden Yards, in my backyard, is a very hitter-friendly park. So if you're banking on him for a source of home run power, I think you're going to see that significantly go down. And just to pick 107 when it's a little bit unproven, I think that's just too rich for me. Yeah, I'm interested. I I want to hear Derek's thoughts on that as well, because Ryan Malcastle, I think I hear more people say they fade him than they actually want him. Are you in that same camp as well? Are you just finding yourself not drafting too much of him? Yeah, I think if I... If, if we didn't know that Camden Yard's uh, dimensions were changing, if they weren't changing, I, I'd be comfortable with Mount Castle at his price. I think we need to see a downturn. The thread that Derek Cardi had, I think it was on Wednesday, breaking it down from just the expected changes was significant. It's a handful of home runs. It's a lot of balls that might have been singles and doubles turning into outs. I'm worried about Mount Castle. I, I don't like the supporting cast either. I, I think he's a little bit of a flawed player. I think a guy that really brings zero defensive value, has to clear a very high bar to remain a long-term, everyday bat. 
not worried about the playing time going away, but he either needs to strike out less or walk more in the long run to stay on a trajectory of being an everyday guy that pops 30 home runs or 25 home runs for the next three to four seasons. So I've just never liked Mountcastle's profile in general. And now if Camden Yards is going to play closer to a neutral park, maybe slightly hitter friendly, as opposed to being a a great spot for right-handed bats, it's terrible news for Mountcastle. Yeah, I will also add that I don't know if, if he's number one, but his expected home runs last year, just under 29, were far lower than his actual home runs of 33. That four home run gap might be one of the higher totals as far as the expected home run to actual home run difference. So he did the same thing in, in his short 2022, where it, his ex- actual five and ex- expected were 2.3. So at some point, maybe that starts swinging in the other direction, and you don't want to be the one that suffers that. With the Orioles park changing, that could be the swing in the other direction we're talking about. So I, I think Malcastle is a good call there. Let's go to the next range of guys. And let's talk about the 16 through 30 range. And this is where things get a little interesting. Now we've got some guys that aren't necessarily slam dunks. Guys that you, if you really like, you can probably make sure you get because they're not going super high here. DVR, who's the first baseman in the 16 to 30 range that you are a huge fan of? If I get caught waiting and waiting and waiting, I actually think Nate Lowe might have one more level. And I think part of the optimism for me comes from Donnie Ecker being the new hitting coach in Texas. You look at the work that the Giants did with a cast of veterans that a lot of us had written off. That is impressive. I think with Nate Lowe, we're talking about a guy that's always had a good control of the strike zone. He's flashed a lot more raw power than we saw a year ago. In his minor league profile, even when he was kind of first breaking in with the Rays a couple of seasons ago, it comes back to whether or not they can get him to hit the ball in the air more consistently. And I think that's the kind of adjustment that I'm generally comfortable banking on, especially when the price, if we're talking about him as a fringy top 250 overall guy, if I'm wrong, it's an easy cut. It's an easy player to move on from. If I'm right, the payoff can be significant because he also steals a handful of bases. He was eight for eight as a base stealer. He's probably not going to tank you in batting average. And the supporting cast is light years better than it was a season ago. They're probably not even done yet. You know, Simeon and Seeger, the big additions, maybe they can get something out of Cole Calhoun. Maybe some of the guys that have been holdovers there, Lodi, Lodi Tavares or uh, Willie Calhoun can also take a step forward. Josh Young could be an impact bat. Suddenly we're looking at this Rangers team and they're at least probably a league average sort of offense, which also just changes the counting stat potential for a player like Lowe, who should be pretty sticky in that lineup every day. DVR. I'm looking at this lineup right now. Willie Calhoun, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, Adolis Garcia, and then Nathaniel Lowe hitting fifth with those guys in front of him. I mean, he could have tons and tons of RBIs potential hitting in the fifth spot in that Rangers lineup. And obviously, like you talked about, the potential he has to start, you know, hitting some home runs and and to be a big contributor in this lineup. I mean, I feel like his ceiling has to be as high as anybody going in this range. And so I can see why. You're a big fan of him at that spot and at pick 241. Goodness gracious. Uh, he's somebody, I, I mean, obviously you wouldn't feel comfortable as your starter, but this is somebody maybe you'd feel comfortable as kind of a backup first baseman or, you know, in a very, very deep league, maybe a corner infielder. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're talking about a guy with a career 10.2% barrel rate. So he makes enough hard contact where if they can just get him to launch the ball more consistently, the payoff could be massive. I love it. Now, Cheesecake, you also are a big fan of Mr. Lowe here. 
And yes. I would love if there's anything else that you would like to add to that DVR already talked about. I just wanted to add a little bit of color. DVR did bring up Lowe's, Lowe's speed. Lowe had eight stolen bases last year. <clears throat> that is three standard deviations above the average for the top first baseman. Uh, and that is that is worth a lot when you start to compare first baseman to first baseman. Lowe's stolen baseman bases make him the 14th most valuable first baseman for last season in my rankings. And now he's going as the, the 26th. He had 642 plate appearances. They're going to put him out there every day. And like I like DVR said, I do think he has another level. So I'm, I'm really positive on Lowe. I think you guys sold me. He was somebody I, I kind of was intrigued at, but not somebody I was going out of my way to try to draft later on. And the more you guys talk about, it, the more you're definitely selling me on that. He seems like a great late first baseman target. Doc, I know you didn't do your homework, and yeah, you have to talk about somebody else. No, no, Anthony Rizzo's in this range. Um, and, I mean, you're setting up a good debate. So uh, ADP of 174. So this is a guy that has 20-plus home runs in his last eight full seasons, obviously not in the shortened season. His batting average has been going down, but – Great on-base player, which sets him up for more runs. And we talk about the stolen base upside for first baseman. He had six last year. And he's actually one of the players that I think is going to benefit if we have a shortened season. The reason being that how many times have we seen him out of the lineup for back tightness? Well, a lot of times it happens when it's colder weather. And he's been a proponent that there needs to be less games played in the MLB season. So imagine if we have a shortened season that starts in April or May there's probably a better chance he's going to be healthy for the long run. If there's a universal DH, it doesn't affect him going to the NL. And I was down on where his ADP was last year, but if I can get him at 174, that is such good value. No, I agree. I mean, he's somebody I also like to see where he lands before I start drafting too much of him. He's somebody that's been kind of, he seems to me kind of similar as to what Joey Votto was a year ago, a, a veteran first baseman that you know still has tools in his profile. He obviously does not have the the change that Joey Votto did, where Joey Votto was openly talking about being willing to strike out more to sell out for power, but he's somebody that I think in the right situation, and you know maybe he gets healthier in the offseason. I know he wasn't necessarily fully healthy down the stretch, that he could be somebody that gives you that veteran bounce back that you're, you know, we saw from Votto, from Evan Longoria, other guys last year to be somebody that'd be very intriguing there. Marty, who's your guy? Well, David, I want to start this off by saying I respect you and I respect your rules. So I picked the 16th uh, first baseman, Joey Votto, because he is the 16th ranked first baseman. I don't have much more. We've already touched on it enough. Um, He had a renaissance last year. He's back, baby. He's, he's, He's making a bid for the Hall of Fame. He's selling out for power. I love his ballpark. I love Joey Votto in general. He's the man. See, this is why you're an A-plus student. You kept your short, and you listened to your your homework assignment. So that's why you're my favorite one that's on this show. That's yeah, he, he, listened, he listened one time. How, how many times has he forgot <laughs> to upload his players? That's okay. It's all good. It's all forgiven now. Let's go to the other side of the coin. Let's talk about players we're not fans of at this draft range. And DVR, who are you finding yourself avoiding here? He's a nice story from a year ago, but I just can't find a reason to target Frank Schwindel. Like I, I think playing time could become an issue very quickly. They could be among the teams that goes out and throws a, a short deal at a free agent first baseman. Maybe there's an Anthony Rizzo reunion on tap. That could be a possibility that had they not signed Marcus Stroman, I wouldn't have even thought it was possible. But since they are spending something, they should probably spend more than they have to this point. 
Uh, I think the the main thing with Schwindel that I'm worried about, it's a similar profile to Ty France. I don't think the per game power output we saw from him last year is anywhere close to his true talent baseline. The projections seem to agree with that that feeling. I'm I'm glad the numbers validated my concerns because I had this kind of simmering all winter before the projections came out. The bad X has him projected to slug 419. ATC's got him at 442. Steamer's a little more optimistic at 476. I just don't see it. I, I think the playing time, even if it doesn't completely dry up, could be a situation where he also ends up hitting in the bottom third of the order at some point, depending on how this lineup is constructed. So nothing I see in the profile really jumps off the page to me. If you guys see something you like, I'd love to hear it. There wasn't, I mean, I've glanced over him a few times. There was nothing in his profile that I was particularly a, a big fan of when I've looked. And I mean, he's somebody that got a lot of playing time last year, and I think he was able to maximize it. But in a full grind of a season where he's playing day in, day out for 140 plus games, then you can kind of see who these guys really are and not just in a short spurt like it was at the end of the season. So, I mean, him going over guys we've talked about, you know, with Nathaniel Lowe, I'd rather take a chance on Luke Voigt here personally. I don't know how you guys feel, but the potential that he could give you if he's healthy, you know, Miguel Sano, you know what he is. I don't think I'm taking Frank Schwindel over a couple of these guys. I, I agree with you. And I, I'd have to definitely look more into his profile, but uh, I'm, I'm not a Frank Schwindel guy by any means. Doc, you can go ahead. Is there anything about CJ Crone? Just, it's just the health thing, right? Well, the health thing, and to dive in a little bit. So playing in Colorado, there's low air pressure there. And so what happens is when okay, Mr. Decrease- Weatherman. Yeah, when there's a decrease in air pressure, your tissues have room to expand and it puts more pressure on your joints. Coming from a guy the year before, Marty remembers as a tiger, torn left patellar tendon in his knee. Now, coming on 32 years old, you don't expect him to be as healthy. This is a guy that's never played more than 142 games in a season. His average is around 120 on there. The home road splits are a little bit concerning. 326 and 19 homers at home, 235 and nine homers on the road. And with the Colorado lineup they have, yeah, he could hit 25 to 30 homers, which he's done three times in his career, but he hasn't had 100 RBIs in a season. A lot of those home runs are probably going to be solo blasts. So I understand the power upside. He could easily have a Luke Voigt year where he leads the league in home runs, but his price is just a little too high for me this year. I totally forgot. I'm sorry to not to ignore your CJ Crone hate because I don't really care about it, if I'm being honest. Frank Schwindel, I forgot that he's been playing minor league baseball since 2013. He's not a young buck. Uh, I totally forgot about that. that. I mean, I think that kind of ties into why, I mean, this was his first time. No, I guess he was, he played with the the Royals in 2019 for a little bit. But that, I mean, this was his 29, uh, or he's age 29. I could, I mean, does any of you guys think that Frank Schwindel could have a late career resurgence here no. at 29 for me he's more of a quad quad a guy with a really with a good nickname frankie two hits baby yeah okay <laughs> fair enough there <laughs> marty uh who is the player that you dislike in your range because i'm gonna let cheesecake debate doc in a second cool uh so 16 through 30 spencer torkelson and i'm a tigers fan and I, I'm not drafting anybody at that at any spot right there who I've never seen play before. And we're not exactly sure if he's going to be called up right away to start. Luke Voigt's going after him. Jesus Aguilar, who's top 10 in RBIs last year, was after him. I understand that a lot of these are going to be DCs. You know, 
at this point, and they just they're shooting for upside here at the uh, corner infield position. But I'd go void over Torkelson at this point. Okay, fair enough. Now, Cheesecake, give me the Cliff Notes version of why you'd like to debate Doc and how you dislike Anthony Rizzo. Well, it really pains me to say it because Rizzo is one of my favorite ball players, but his skills are just deteriorating. They're just declining slowly. His his power isn't where it, it used to be, and it never was great power. Last season, he only hit 22 home runs. He played 141 games. He didn't miss significant time, but he only hit 22 home runs, only produced 135 runs plus RBIs. And the batting average isn't where it, it used to be. You'll, you'll see it now. He goes through prolonged cold slumps um, uh, generally to start the season. Why you said he does like to start later, but uh, they, they, they creep back up also throughout the season now. And, and his approach has always been to be, uh, um, you know, a really good hitter, like choking up on, with two strikes and things like that. And, and it, and it, makes it so he barely ever strikes out but i do think that he does he would benefit from selling out for a little bit more power producing a little bit more a uh, little bit more power out of his swing until i see that change i i am kind of thinking that we're just going to start to see a slow decline in his production year over year yeah, fair enough let's close out this discussion we'll go around the horn here this is the, your gem this is calling your shot this is everybody going outside the top 31st baseman that you think in these DC fifties, they'll look back and be like, I can't believe I drafted him and look what he's doing for my roster. DVR. Who's your gem? I think this one might be borrowed or stolen outright from Jenny Butler, but Rowdy Telez. I mean, this is a guy that barrels the ball at a double digit rate. He doesn't strike out the way that most people with that approach and body type tend to strike out. Uh, they don't have, a lot of competition for him for at least the big side platoon role. So I think the key here is how deep is your league? Is it a DC? Is it a league where you can make the twice weekly moves like an NFBC league? Uh, that's going to be everything. But I think you could be looking at Telez as sort of a newer version of Travis Shaw. You guys remember Travis Shaw's quick peak in Milwaukee mm-hmm. on the other corner, you know, kind of a 260, 270 type hitter when it's going right with 30 homers. Like that's that's within range and they need that. They desperately need sources of consistent offensive production we saw flashes of it during his time in milwaukee last year and at this price there's so many guys that you see lower playing time expectations for i mean satsugo i think could play a similar role in pittsburgh because they have so many vacancies there but a lot of other players here might be more like 400 plate appearance guys whereas rowdy could be a 550 maybe even a 600 plate appearance guy if it all clicks Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's a great call cheesecake who's your pick I I looked right at Rowdy. He's got a perfect launch angle, uh, for and he's got a, a an amazing max EV. He hits the ball hard. Uh, I think he's going to end up getting twenty five to thirty home runs this year. I thought you had a wasn't your late round gem Christian? Oh no, I'm I'm looking at the wrong guy. You were on the same page. That that's I hosted Absolutely. that. I didn't even realize that was the transition there, <laughs> Marty. You were the one that was all about the Christian Walker love here. Christian Walker. So he had a down year last year. He was injured. Okay. So um, the the bad X has him projected for 17 home runs, batting 254. Um, nothing nothing sexy, nothing flashy. But, I mean, he's considering he's free and he's going to be, be playing as much as possible. Um, I like where he's at. All right. And, Doc? Yeah, for it me, it's, it's Eric Hosmer. He has four-year, 59 mil left on that contract, so he's going to play. And he's a streaky guy. Look. Began the season hitting 320 in the first month, 
247, 172, back up to 355 in July. So playing in a good lineup and hopefully he gets the opportunities because the Padres would be dumb to bench him playing in 20 mil this year. Yeah. It's one of the worst contracts in baseball. And at that point, you're better probably are going to play him. And there's always injuries too with that deep Padres roster. So I'm sure he'll get slotted in throughout the season, get a ton of at bats for you. All right. We're done talking first baseman. Now we do what makes triple play fantasy unique from other fantasy baseball podcasts. And that's starting off, of course, with our question of the week. And of course, that is sponsored by Monkey Knife Fight. Triple Play Fantasy is an official affiliate to Monkey Knife Fight, the fastest growing sports betting site in the United States. New depositors receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 using promo code Triple Play. All right. Question of the week. Would you move the All-Star game from its current date? If so, to when and why? So, DVR, I'm curious to hear your answer. Do you like the All-Star game when it is? Or do you think you would move it to a different part of the season? I'd probably move it up a little bit earlier. I think there's two ways to think about it. I'd either have it right on the 4th of July because it's just such a uh, slice of Americana, really, to think about the All-Star game being that. I think the downside of that is I think most people like going to a game. It's a holiday. Everyone's got the day off. If your local team is at home, you might actually go to the park that day. They draw a ton of fans pretty much everywhere on that day. So if you're pushing back because of that, you want baseball everywhere on the 4th of July, I would say the last three days of June would make a great break because then you could have the first couple days of July off and then July 4th could be the kickoff of the second half. So you'd have like a a holiday to commemorate the second half of baseball season. So it'd be a little earlier, it'd be closer to when I think a lot of the minor league all-star games end up being held. But I think it would also make a a lot of sense to, to make that slight adjustment and split the season in half more evenly. I like that too, because can you imagine if like every team had unique fourth of july uniforms or something they could even make a marketing thing out of that and everyone has like a a red white and blue jersey but like their logo their team name is different and that could be something that they do like the white red white and blue i don't know i like where your head's at derek i I think that could be something pretty cool for sure lc this was your question did you have an answer that you feel like is the top answer here And once again, he's a rookie and either is muted or his camera is bad. So we will go back to him and we'll go to Doc. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, 4th of July was actually my idea, but I want to take it a step further. And I think the game should be played at the Field of Dreams every year. So the hardcore baseball fans fly out there. You know, it's it's kind of that nostalgia feel, 4th of July, celebrating America, America's pastime. And that way there, there's not really a bias of like, oh, you know, they're playing in a hitter or pitch-friendly park. They're playing at a neutral field that's used once a year. Probably bad use of infrastructure, but it'd be cool. Is that your answer, Cheesecake? You look very upset. No, I'm not upset. I'm, 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 I'm just my computer's acting up tonight, and so it's giving me issues. My, uh, my mute unmute game is is off right now, and and it's and it's getting under, it's getting in my craw. But uh, I, I, I'm sold on, I'm sold on DVRs. I was gonna say the fourth. I do think that there's an argument to have it like after the season, kind of like the Pro Bowl. I think that might be some sort of a nice showcase. Um, like, like non-playoff team players can have like a all-star game after or something like that. Um, but I do like my, my initial thought was the 4th of July, but I'm, I'm sold that, that you move it even further up. Cause I think you want to have the first and second half to be more even for sure. 
Yeah, I do like the end of the season showcase thing, though, too. That gives kind of baseball fans something after the World Series is over, which is kind of cool. I don't, that's not mm-hmm. a bad idea there. Marty, are you 4th of July, or did you go outside the box to something else? Well, if we know Major League Baseball, we know that the, the 4th of July just makes way too much sense, right? And you <laughs> talked about how great it would be, you know, easy it would be to market it, so they're not going to do that. So I'll tell you what they are going to do, and I think this is the best idea. I want to start the year off with the baseball game, January 1st. All-star game in a beautiful place, Florida, Arizona, California, wherever you want to have it. But there finally we have an opportunity. Not we don't have to watch some bowl game I don't care about. I don't want to have to I don't have to watch basketball. Get to watch the all-star game January 1st. Get a break from this winter. It's been snowing for three days here in Detroit. I need something. <laughs> I, I, there are so many things that are that will never happen. I mean, football <laughs> football's on there, bowl games. I mean even sometimes Florida all of it's cold. meaningless. I want an all-star game. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. They have to play it in a dome. <laughs> but yeah. they can do it in Florida, Arizona. Would, would pitchers yeah. be maxing out at like 88, though, if they had the game in January? Okay. Maybe yeah. hey, their, uh, their kids can fly down there, you know, make it a little family time, right? A couple mimosas, <laughs> you know? Hey. Oh, man. Okay, well. If that ever happens, I know who came up with that idea because I don't think anybody else is suggesting that. So <laughs> The 4th of July makes way too much sense. They're going to do it in the middle of winter. That's okay. Facts. I like that. All right. Let's go to our last segment of the night. That's our game of the week. And Cheesecake is hosting the game this week. What are we playing? Um, I don't have a name for this game. Uh, it's just a question about statistics and how players compare for their statistics. We're going to answer in Price is Right style. The first, uh, first to answer in the first question will be David then Marty, then Eric, then DVR is the order of answer. And then the next question, Marty gets the first answer and so on. Oh, I okay. love Marty. He's the best game show host. He always this explains is, that, was, that was actually good for It was. It was better good for, for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. The first, the first question um, is based upon an average launch angle of a hitter. Now, there are three of these power hitters that are in one bunch and one that is set apart and launch angle is much higher. I want you to tell me which one is set apart. All right. The four hitters are Mitch Haniger, Marcus Semien, Max Muncy, and Pete Alonzo. Three of them have a very similar launch angle, and one is much higher. David, which one is much higher? I'm going to go out of the box and say Mitch Haniger. Semien. Semien. I thought it was Haniger, too. The answer is Marcus Semien, who is 20.3 oh. launch angle. Hmm. Haniger, Alonzo, and Muncy are all between 14.7 and 15.2. So right now, Eric and Marty have one point, and DVR and David have zero. The next question is now, who has the lowest barrel rate out of these four pitchers from 2021? Who gave up the lowest barrel rate? Um, the four pitchers are Marty. You're the first answer. Zach Wheeler, Ranger Suarez, Alex Cobb, and Corbin Burns. Who had the lowest barrel rate against them? Ranger, Ranger Suarez. This pains me to Eric? say, but Alex Cobb. I'm gonna go GBR. Burns. It, it seems like too obvious, but I just I just think it's Burns. And David, there's like part of me, there's like part of me that's like, well, Derek's like the huge Brewers fan. So I feel like I should trust him, but I felt like that Burns gave up a lot of home runs or, or I thought he gave up a lot of home runs last year, which means his barrel percentage might even be higher. Uh, I'm going to go Ranger as well. 
David and Marty, you found me out. Ranger Suarez is my heart ache, my heart throb, and that's who <laughs> had the lowest barrel rate out of those. Rangers 2.6. Corbin was a 3.1, so very low as well. Cobbin uh, Wheeler, 4.2 and 4.6. Nah. That's um they both did very well. Both did very well. Um now this third question is about their expected WOBA against, and three of them are bunched together, and one is set apart as much lower. Okay. Uh, now, all four of these pitchers are, are are liked by many in the industry, but one of them has a much better expected Woba against from last season. The four pitchers are Adam Wainwright, Nathan Eovaldi, Lucas Giolito, and Alec Manoa. Who has the best ex- expected Woba against set apart? Um, so it was, it was Wainwright, Giolito, were the last Eovaldi, and Manoa. Um. I'm going to go Ivaldi. I'm also going to go with DVR. Ivaldi. To David. me, it was it was either between Ivaldi or Wainwright, and my gut tells me Wainwright. Ivaldi. Uh, Marty. The correct answer is Alec Manoa, who had a 326 wow. expected oh. Woba against. And Wainwright, Giolito, and Ivaldi were bo- all between 354 and 357 against. So Manoa we got to get DVR a, on the board here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, okay. So there, now you might need speed in your draft. Now speed guys generally don't have a high barrel percentage, but there is one speed guy out of these four that has the highest. Uh, and the four guys are Trent Grisham, Whit Merrifield, Gene Segura, and Tom, Tommy Edmond. Which one of these speed guys had the highest barrel percentage last season? Oof, I don't feel a good DVR, about this. Probably taking a zero. Uh, I'm going to go Tommy Edmund. Uh, David. Ed- Edmund Segura or the other two? Uh, Whit Merrifield and Trent Grisham. I'll go Trent Grisham. Segura. Uh, Marty. And I'm going, Eric. I'm going Edmund, but that means I'll get it wrong because DVR said it. <laughs> Gene Segura had a 5.9 barrel percentage. Oh, higher yeah. than Grisham. Higher than Edmund's 4.2. And Whit Merrifield, 3.5. 3.5 barrel percentage last season, the lowest out of all of them. Jeez, Marty's uh, so smoking us. Marty's up 3-1. Uh, I think he's – he's. we have only one more question left. I think it's a good one. You we'll clinched it, fun, it yeah. Marty. But, yeah, but, uh, but this is a good one. Four pitchers that I'm going to name have significant ERA to FIP differences. Their FIP is much worse than the ERA they produced in 2021. Which one of these four pitchers has the largest ERA to FIP difference? Is it Robbie Ray? Is it Walker Bueller? Is it Framber Valdez? Or is it Joe Musgrove? And David, you're starting. I feel like the way you said Joe Musgrove gave it away. <laughs> so I'm going to say Joe Musgrove. I was thinking the same thing. Musgrove. <laughs> I feel like Robbie Ray is too easy of an answer. And do I want to cherry pick and say Joe Musgrove? Uh, or the other two, Framber and... Walker Bueller. I'll go Walker Bueller. DVR? Yeah, I kind of think Bueller could be a surprise here, but I'm not going Bueller. I'm going to go Fromber. Fromber is the correct answer. Hey, there we go. Fromber had a .87 difference. He had a 3.14 ERA and a 4.01 FIP. Robbie Ray right behind him, 0.85 difference. The other two were both over 0.5 of a difference, though. So the winner is Marty. Second straight week. This is a winning streak, Marty. Way to go, baby. Yeah, (laughs) all to come back. 
Didn't you lose three straight months in a row? And now you won? <laughs> it wasn't even him losing. He was coming in last place three months in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Ancient history now. It's all uh, about pacing yourself, David. You know what I mean? There you go. I like it. Well, hey, hey, what, what do we talk about? He's like Anthony Rizzo. He's very streaky. <laughs> no, that, there we go. I like it. All right. On that note, Derek, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. Ton of fun for us to have you here. And we enjoyed talking first base with you. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Please go ahead and plug all the great stuff you're doing. I, again, unless you're living under a rock, you know what he does and all he and he's doing. But in case there's some things that people may not know about, of course. Sure. Yeah. Rates and Barrels and the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast are the two shows I'm working on in addition to a, a non-fantasy show, the Athletic Baseball Show. That's just like being the last player picked on an all-star team for me. I mean, there's <laughs> Jason Stark and Ken Rosenthal and Keith Law. And it, it, I'm just there. Like I, I just happen to be there. You know, and Britt and I are doing a show on that feed now, too. So uh, just a lot of pods mostly. Sometimes I write. If I do write, if I do a podcast, I tweet about it at Derek Van Riper. Yeah, again, one of the nicest guys. You obviously know the voice, but he's a great follow, great mind, and, and a great overall person. So make sure you're following him and check out all the great work that he does over at The Athletic. And everybody that tunes into Triple Play Fantasy, whether you watch the YouTube or you listen to the podcast, we appreciate your support each and every week. Next week, we're going to be uh, doing the second base position with another great guest, which I'm sure is going to be a fun episode. But until then, stay safe, happy drafting, and we're going to make like a bread truck. We're going to haul these buns. Catch you guys next week.